Section 25 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christoph Stangenberg. Antonia by Georges Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter 6, Part 2. He appeared with her on the same day. Julie, preferring not to see her heartless enemy again, locked herself into her boudoir, leaving the doors of all the other rooms open. The Marquis d'Estrelle was a shrewish Norman. In Madame d'Ancourt's circle she was called Madame de Pimbeche, Aubeche, etc. She was accused of borrowing money by the year to lend secretly at usurious rates. This may have been an exaggeration. But it is certain that, if she expended a considerable sum to set Julie free, she proposed to recoup herself on the details. The promptness with which she came to make this sort of expert inspection demonstrated that purpose. She went through the house, examined everything with a keen, unerring eye, made her comments and her deductions on account of the slightest crumbling of the walls, cried down the furniture and the fixtures as much as she possibly could, and talked and acted with a cynicism born of avarice and aversion, which fairly sickened Marcel and made the notary blush more than once. When she came to the boudoir where Julie had taken refuge, she demanded that the door be opened. It was opened instantly. Julie had heard her approaching, and being unwilling to undergo the supreme affront of receiving a hateful visitor against her will, she had gone out through the garden, bidding Camille open the door as soon as the demand was made. Camille was proud. She could point to sheriffs among her ancestors. She could not resist the temptation to give the dowager a lesson. She walked to a chest of drawers in which she had hastily and designedly placed a few trifles, and said in a tone of sarcastic resignation, "'Perhaps Madame desires to count the linen? There are some of my mistress's ribbons and neckerchiefs here.' The dowager cared little for the chatter of a lady's maid, but her hatred of Julie was lashed into fury. She cast a rapid glance through the window and saw Madame d'Estrelle crossing the garden toward the pavilion. Doubtless, there was a great mistake on Julie's part, but she too was exasperated. She felt as if she were driven from her house, from her bedroom, from her most sacred retreat by the shamelessness of persecution. She longed for a refuge, her brain was in a whirl, and she bent her steps, without reflection, as if by instinct, towards Madame Thierry and Julien. "'She will not come to their house to rout me out,' she thought. She will not dare. I am still the owner of the place, and I alone have the right to enter the premises of my lycees. Moreover, it is time for me to acknowledge my friendly relations with Madame Thierry, and after today I propose to go to her house as I go to the houses of other women who have sons or brothers. As she resolutely entered the pavilion, the marchioness, impelled by a no less sudden resolution, rushed from the boudoir into the garden. "'Where are you going, madame?' asked Marcel, who had not seen Julie fleeing, but who distrusted the gleaming eyes and the jerky gait of the vigorous and active old woman. The marchioness did not deign to answer, but hopped on like a plucked magpie. Marcel and the notary followed her, being unable to stop her. She knew the place very well. 
although she had not shown herself there for a long while, having had a falling out with her stepson, the Count, at the time of her second marriage. She arrived at the pavilion a few minutes after Julie, and entered the studio like a bombshell. Julien was alone. He was not even aware that Madame d'Estrelles had come in and gone up to his mother's room. Since he had been seeing Julie in secret, he had ceased to be on the lookout for her. They were so entirely agreed that they would not meet by chance. He was working and singing over his work. Julie, as she passed through the little porch, had had an indefinable sudden presentment of the danger of being followed. So she had gone upstairs, convinced that the widow's bedroom was an inviolable refuge. Surprised by the sudden appearance of the old dowager, Julien, who had never seen her, rose from his chair, thinking that she had come from the street and that she wished to give him an order. That red-faced, panting apparition, angular and repellent, caused him more displeasure than hope. Here is a person who will haggle like a pawnbroker, he thought rapidly, unless indeed she is a female pawnbroker herself. The lady's shabby costume in no wise indicated her rank and her wealth. Are you alone here? she asked, without any sort of salutation. Marcel and the notary appeared, and Julien's wandering eyes questioned the former, who made haste to reply, Madame desires to purchase this pavilion, and I don't need to be introduced to this gentleman, retorted the marchioness sharply, and I am quite able to explain myself. In that case, Madame laughed Julien. This gentleman awaits your orders. I asked you a question, continued the marchioness, in no wise disconcerted. I will make it more distinct. Where did the Comtesse d'Estrelle go? Julien started back. Marcel, seeking to avoid an absurd scene, hastily motioned to him and touched his forehead with his finger to indicate that the woman's mind was deranged. Ah, very good, said Julien, speaking in the tone which one adopts with children and madmen. Madame la Comtesse d'Estrelles, I don't know her. A silly answer, master painter, and altogether useless. I desire to speak to that lady, and I know that she lives here from time to time. Marcel, said Julien, turning to his cousin, was it you who brought this lady to me? Marcel, in dire distress, shook his head. "'Then it was you, monsieur?' Julien asked the notary. "'No, monsieur,' the notary replied with decision. "'I followed madame, and I have absolutely no idea why she came here.' "'Then you would have done better not to have followed me,' replied the marchioness with calm asperity. "'I had a reason for coming to this picture-shop. You have none. Do me the favour to allow me to conduct myself here as I please.' "'I wash my hands of the affair,' replied the notary, saluting Julien with much courtesy, and he took his leave, cursing the shrewish and capricious humour of his client. "'As for you, monsieur le procureur,' said the marchioness to Marcel. "'As for me, madame,' retorted Marcel, "'this house is occupied by members of my own family, and I receive orders from no one except the mistress of the house, who is my aunt.' I know all that. I know your relationship and the understanding between you as between good friends and your neighborly relations with the Comte d'Estrelles' widow. Remain if you choose, or turn me out if you dare. Let us have done with this, madame, said Julien, losing patience. 
I am not in the habit of failing in respect to a woman, however extraordinary her conduct may appear to me. But I am an artist, a mechanic, if you choose. I am on my own premises, in my picture shop, as you well describe it. I am working, I have no time to waste. You talk to me of subjects which I do not understand, and of a person whom I have not the honour to receive. If you have no other motive for interrupting me, permit me to leave you. With that, he picked up his palette and his sketch and left the studio with an expressive glance at Marcel, which seemed to say, Get me out of this as best you can. Very good, said the Marchioness, not at all crushed by this dismissal in due form. I will remember the shepherd's ballad. Let us look about this hovel a bit. I will spare you nothing. I want to see the whole pavilion, inside, upstairs, and down, as I saw the hotel. Come, madame, said Marcel, since you insist upon it, simply allow me to warn my aunt who lives upstairs. Not at all, replied the dowager, walking toward the door. I will warn her myself, and if she turns me out, why, I shall be very well pleased, monsieur le procureur. Ah, this is enough to drive one mad, cried Marcel involuntarily. Is it possible that you really believe that Madame d'Estrelle is in hiding here? In that case, come, madame, I will show you the way. When your mind is at rest? Marcel was a hundred leagues from imagining that Julie was in his aunt's room. Suddenly, as he hastily opened the studio door, he saw Madame d'Estrelle and Madame Thierry before him, and stood still, in the most painful attitude one can attribute to disappointment. Julie had heard the Marchioness's noisy arrival in the studio. Julien had gone up to tell his mother that a mad woman was below talking nonsense. He had been first of all amazed to see Julie, then sorely distressed by her presence on learning from her that the mad woman was the dowager in person. Julie recognized her at last, and knew that she would ferret her out if she had to go to the garret. She at once made up her mind what to do, and, taking Madame Thierry's arm, said to her, Come, it is not becoming for me to be surprised in your room. Like a guilty person in hiding, I prefer to brave the storm, and I feel that I can do it because it is my duty. Julien, bewildered and ready to explode, remained at the top of the stairs, listening and wondering if Marcel singled handed could save the two women whom he loved and respected above all the world from being insulted by a fury. But strangely enough, as soon as the dowager saw those two women before her, her countenance brightened and her anger seemed to vanish. What was her real purpose? To ascertain with her own eyes that she had not been deceived by those who told her that Julie had formed a friendship with the widow Thierry, and consequently that she was her son's mistress. The consequence was slightly forced, but as Julien had told the Marchioness that he did not know Julie, the Marchioness had some excuse for believing what she wished to believe. This satisfaction appeased her, as the possession of a victim appeases the excitement of the vulture. She laughed a wicked laugh, glancing at Marcel triumphantly, and said to him, without bowing to anyone, without waiting to be spoken to, Come, Monsieur le Procureur, I am satisfied. I have seen all I want to see here. Let us go about our business. Julie felt the sarcasm and was about to reply to it. She was desperate, so desperate that she desired to tell her secret in presence of everybody. In her view, that was the opportunity, or it would never come. 
Since the tongue of calumny chose to call her a degraded sinner, she proposed to reassert her dignity by avowing a serious passion soon to be consummated by marriage. It was a most courageous act on the part of a woman who had never known her to be brave, so that she was not perfectly cool when she formed that extreme resolution hastily and without Julien's knowledge. But she was not allowed to carry it out in that way. Marcel and Madame Thierry each grasped one of her hands, saying almost in unison, Don't answer. Let the insult fall at your feet. And while they detained her thus, the dowager passed on without deigning to look at her, and took the path leading to the hotel, while the honest notary, who was awaiting her outside and accompanied her, saluted Julie with most significant deference. You see, said Marcel, her own adviser protests against the unworthiness of such conduct, and now that woman has taken off her mask, no one will be on her side against you. But, in God's name, madame, how did you allow yourself to be caught here where you never come? You are most imprudent, I am bound to tell you. My dear Thierry, I have something to say to you, replied Julie. Go and arrange matters with the marchioness. Yield everything in the matter of money, but save my own tiny fortune. I will wait for you here. Why here, said Marcel. I will tell you that when you return, Julie replied. Really, madame, said Julien, as soon as Marcel had gone, by what unlucky chance do you honour my mother with a visit on the very day when your deadly enemy is watching you? And why do you remain here now, as if to confirm her in her extraordinary suspicions? Despite Julien's affectionate and respectful tone, his words contained a sort of rebuke which surprised Madame Thierry. Julien, said Madame d'Estrel earnestly, the moment to be sincere has arrived. It has arrived sooner than I expected. But it cannot be avoided, and I do not propose to retreat before my destiny. My excellent friend, she cried, throwing her arms around Madame Thierry's neck. Listen to the whole truth. I love Julien. I am bound to him by the most sacred pledges. Embrace and bless your daughter. Oh, mon Dieu, cried Madame Thierry in utter bewilderment, pressing Julie to her heart. Are you married? Surely not. Never without your consent, said Julien, embracing his mother in his turn. But we solemnly promised each other to ask your consent when the time came, that there would be nothing in this disclosure likely to alarm your affection. Julie has spoken sooner than I could have wished, but she has spoken, and what can I add? I deceived you, dear mother, I love her madly, and I am the happiest of men because she loves me too. Madame Thierry was so profoundly moved by these revelations that it was a long time before she was able to speak. She overwhelmed Julie and Julien with the most loving caresses, and, trembling from head to foot with cold hands and streaming eyes, she felt a curious mixture of terror and joy. The first feeling was the more powerful, perhaps, for her first words were to ask Julien why, amid his happiness, he seemed to reproach Julie for acting a little too quickly. End of section 25